amazing love. When you think about it, when you ponder and think about what our God did for us. Let's bow together. Father, thank you so much for this uh, morning. Thank you so much for your son Jesus who gave himself for us. Thank you that through him we have forgiveness of sins and eternal life. And Father, I pray as we look into your word that uh, you would encourage your people, that it would draw our eyes onto your son. And Lord, for those who don't know you who might be hearing today, that they might believe and be saved, that you might break up the heart of stone and uh, cause them to see themselves rightly and to see your son through the gospel, that they might believe in your son and be saved. So we thank you for this time and we commit it to you now in Jesus' name, amen. Well, there are really two types of people in the world, uh, if you think about it. There are those who have a true, genuine hope and those who don't. You see, uh, when the Apostle Paul was addressing the Thessalonians awaiting Christ's return, he spoke in chapter 4 about believers. He said that we don't mourn for our, for our departed loved ones like those who have no hope. The world has no true hope. The Apostle Paul would share to the Ephesians that uh, non-believers, these Ephesians, before they came to Christ, uh, having no hope and without God in the world, having no true hope. And if you're honest with yourself, you'll realize that if you don't know Christ, you really have no genuine hope. Now, as an under-shepherd of the Lord's Church, I've uh, had the opportunity to conduct many funerals. And I've conducted mostly those of believers, and those funerals are joyous occasions, although we weep, because we know that those who have died have gone into the presence of the Lord. But I've also conducted funerals for those who don't know the Lord. And the hopelessness of family and friends, it's a terrible thing. All I can do is share the gospel in those funerals so that those who are still alive may not be like those who have perished and gone on to eternity without Christ. You see, you either have a hope or you don't. And if you've lost a loved one, you know what I'm talking about. If it's someone who is saved or not, you understand. You understand if they're saved or with the Lord, if they're not, it's a hopeless situation. So with that in mind, on this Easter Sunday, I'm, we're going to take a look at how we can find true hope. Would you turn your Bibles to Matthew chapter 28? Matthew 28, and we're going to look at the resurrection of Jesus Christ. Now, the context in the book of Matthew, King Jesus has come to his own. Those who are sitting in darkness, uh, they were in the shadow of death. And with his teaching, and he, he has confronted their wrong thinking. He has confirmed his deity with the miraculous. He has confirmed the teaching. He has revealed himself to be the Christ, the King, the Son of God, the only Savior. And he called upon them to repent and believe in himself for salvation. For he is the way, the truth, and the life. And no one comes to the Father but by him. And yet we see these Jews and their leaders rejected Jesus. Indeed, having been tried by the Jewish leaders and the Sanhedrin, being found guilty of declaring himself to be God, to which he really is, uh, they beat him, they mocked him, they delivered him up to Pilate, the Roman governor. 
Pilate, finding no guilt in him, after having him scourged, that's being whipped with a leather whip with bone pieces in the end, then at the request of the Jewish people, chose they chose a murderer, or, or, or they chose a murderer and a, and a, um, a robber to be released uh, over Jesus. This uh, self-centered, cowardly politician, Pilate, then delivered up Jesus to be crucified. And after being mocked by the Roman cohort, Jesus was led in a shameful procession to Golgotha, the place of the skull. And it's at this point he is nailed to the cross and crucified while many onlookers uh, observe. And Jesus was put on the cross sometime around 9 a.m. Around 12 noon, darkness fell upon the land until about 3. And during this three-hour period, we know that Jesus hung on the cross. And while he was hanging there, all of our wickedness and sin was placed upon him. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God became sin on our behalf. He made him who knew no sin to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. And Jesus receiving the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin, uh, the sinless, spotless Lamb of God took away the sin of the world. John would say, behold, the Lamb of God pointing to Jesus who takes away the sin of the world. How does he do that? On the cross. All those Old Testament sacrifices pointing to the once for all sacrifice which will come about through the death of Jesus Christ. And bearing our sins in his body on the cross, when he completed it, he said, it is finished. It is finished, John 19. The work was done and uh, all that was left was for him to yield over himself to death. And we see that in 2750, Matthew, and Jesus cried out with a loud voice and yielded up his spirit. Jesus died for our sins. The work of salvation is finished. The work is, he paid it all. We have the culmination of everything Matthew has been leading up to. Uh, Matthew 121, and you shall name him Jesus. The name Jesus means Yahshua saves. The Lord is salvation. You shall name him Jesus because, for he will save his people from their sins. And that's what he did on the cross. And so after he died, we see that God supernaturally tore the veil of the temple from top to bottom, symbolically revealing that access to a holy God had been complete the way to gain access to him through the death of Jesus Christ. And then he was buried, Jesus was buried, and placed into the tomb. And at this point, we come to our passage on Easter Sunday, Resurrection Day, chapter 28 of Matthew, where we're going to see how we can find true hope. Verse 1, now after the Sabbath, as it began to dawn toward the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. And behold, a severe earthquake had occurred, for an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven and had came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. And his appearance was like lightning, and his garment was, like, his garment was as white as snow. And the guards shook for fear of him and became like dead men. And the angel answered and said to the women, Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus, who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he has risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee. There you will see him. Behold, I have told you. 
And they departed quickly from the tomb with great fear and great joy and ran to report to his disciples. And behold, Jesus met them and greeted them. And they came up and took hold of his feet and worshiped him. And Jesus said to them, do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee. And there they shall see me. Again, how can we find true hope? Well, first of all, we need to listen to the testimony of God's word, and then we need to believe what we are hearing. It's one thing to hear it. It's another thing to believe it. Some people have been in church all their lives. They've heard the gospel over and over again, but they don't believe it, practically speaking, that it applies to them, that they need a Savior personally from their sin. So here's the testimony. These women were on their way to the grave. An angel descends from heaven. The earth quakes, and he rolls away the stone. The angel sits on it, and it's, the guards become like dead men. Again, verse 1, now after the Sabbath. Now he's making it clear of the timing here. The Jewish day ends at sundown. That's at 6 p.m. This means this was sometime after Saturday night, 6 p.m. But notice, Matthew gives more information. As it began to dawn towards the first day of the week. So Matthew is speaking of the time right about dawn on Sunday morning, the first day of the week. And notice what he says in the middle of verse 1. Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. Now these women were followers of Jesus from Galilee. They had ministered to Jesus, and they were with many other women who had been looking upon the crucifixion from afar, uh, Matthew 27, 55, and 56. These women were also a witness to Jesus being put into the tomb, Matthew 27, 61. And you might know uh, Mary Magdalene. Uh, she was a woman whom Jesus had cast out seven demons, Luke chapter 8. She was a devoted follower of Jesus Christ. And the other Mary being identified here and earlier in chapter 27, 56 and Mark 15 is the mother not of James and John, but the mother of James and Joseph. That's what we see in those passages. So we have these two Marys mentioned again as coming to the tomb. Now, in the other Gospels, we see that there were some other women that came also, and we also see the reason why they came. Mark chapter 16, I'll read this for you, verse 1. And when the Sabbath was over, Mary Magdalene and Mary, the mother of James and Salome, brought spices that they might come and anoint him. And very early on, the first day of the week, they came to the tomb when the sun had risen. And then Luke chapter 23, we see this also. Now the women, verse 55, had come with him out of Galilee, followed after him and saw the tomb and how his body was lain. And they returned to prepare spices and perfumes. And on the Sabbath day, they rested according to the commandment. Chapter 24 of Luke. But on the first day of the week at early dawn, they came to the tomb bringing spices, which they had prepared. These were devoted followers of Jesus who truly did not yet understand and also thus not fully believe yet that he would be raised from the dead on the third day. And how can I say that? Well, it's the third day and they're bringing spices to anoint his body. You see, spices would take away the stench of a body that was going to decay or was in decay. And that would be about the third or the fourth day. And so obviously at this time they didn't fully understand that what Jesus had been saying over and over again, that he would have to rise on the third day and that he would. They were simply devoted. They loved him and they wanted to care for his body. And so our text says, now after the Sabbath, verse 1, came to dawn towards the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene and the other Mary came to look at the grave. 
And then notice we have this amazing statement that Matthew wants us to take a look. He says, and behold, that means take a look. And behold, and what does he want us to behold? A severe earthquake had occurred. Now, it's interesting to note that this earthquake is related to the angel descending from heaven. Look at this. And behold, a severe earthquake had, had occurred for, that's explaining. I say, take two aspirins for or because of a headache, right? Or I'm explaining. I went to the, to the store for I needed uh, aspirin, whatever it might be. It says, for an angel of the Lord descended from heaven and came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. A severe earthquake had come and it's related to this angel descending from heaven, coming and rolling away the stone and sitting upon it. We have the term an angel of the Lord here, an angel of the Lord. It speaks of a messenger of the Lord, more specifically an angel. Now, what do we know about angels? We know that they are created spiritual beings. Hebrews chapter 1, 14, are they not ministering, all ministering spirits sent out to render service for the sake of those who will inherit salvation? I'm talking about elect angels, holy angels. We know about fallen angels, demons. We know about them. This is a holy angel. And so when this angel came down from heaven, that's pretty amazing, God brought about an earthquake at the same time. And we have that explanation. For an angel of the Lord had descended from heaven, came and rolled away the stone and sat upon it. Now, historically speaking, we do understand the tombs of Jesus' day. They would have huge stones. And now you think of it, we kind of think of a big ball rolling in front of it. Well, really it's more like a disc that would be rolled in front of it. That was uh, uh, how they closed the tombs. And so they had it like that so people could move it and open and shut it. And here we have supernatural intervention, an angel rolling with a stone and sitting upon it, an angel from heaven entering into time and space, a sphere here, and rolling away the stone. And notice what it says here. Now you roll off stone. These are all completed actions with ongoing in the past. So basically, he, he, he continually, habitually roll, rolled it, and then he was continually sitting upon it. And notice it says the appearance was like lightning or like light flashes. Angels like lightning, like light flashes. And his garment was white as snow. You might remember what Jesus said. Uh, Uh, looked like uh, when he was on the Mount of Transfiguration. Mark relays that. He says, And his garments became radiant, exceedingly white, as no launderer on earth can whiten them. And we know from Revelation chapter 3, verse 4 and verse 18, these white garments refer to purity. We know later on from Revelation that sinful men who were martyred in the tribulation, but who trusted in Jesus had their garments that, which were white because of the blood of the Lamb. They were cleansed. They were white. So we have the holy angel moving the stone and sitting upon it. And what happens next? Verse 4, And the guards shook for fear of who? Of him, the angel. Okay? And became like dead men. So we have these Roman guards. They're mentioned back in chapter 27. These are the guards which the religious leaders wanted to guard the tomb and seal it to prevent the disciples from stealing the body and proclaiming that Jesus had risen from the dead. And so these guards shook in fear and became like dead men. They shook in their boots or their sandals, right? They, they shook and they were lifeless. What are dead men like? They don't move. They're completely still. They became like dead men. Absolutely no movement. Now, it's interesting because you got 
two groups of people here. You got the the guards and you got these women. And notice verse 5. And the angel answered and said to who? The guards? No. To the women. Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come and see the place where he is lying. What was lying. Where he was lying. Now, before we look at this in depth, we need to fill in a few uh, pieces here concerning this morning, or we might get confused in relationship to the other Gospels. So let me fill you in a little bit here from the other Gospels. In Mark chapter 16, verses 1 to 4, we see, as the women approached the tomb, uh, which we don't have recorded in Matthew, they were wondering who's going to roll away the stone when they get there. And when they get there, they see the stone has already been rolled away. Now, Luke chapter 24, 1 through 4a, informs us that they peered into the tomb and they didn't see the body of Jesus and were perplexed. Now, in the Gospel of John, we have another account that's not recorded in the Synoptic Gospels concerning Mary Magdalene. Apparently, at that point, being perplexed, not seeing the Lord Jesus, she makes a beehive and runs back for the disciples. John 20, I'll read this for you. Take a look at John 20. John 20, verses... 1 and 2. Now on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came up early to the tomb while it was still dark, saw the stone had already been away, taken away from the tomb, so she ran and called Peter to the, and the, the other disciple whom Jesus loved and said to them, they've taken away the Lord out of the tomb and we do not know where they've landed. So she, with these ladies, comes, sees he's not there, and she splits. But the other women are still there in our passage. You see? And so we see here, most likely, she had ran about two miles to Bethany, where Peter and John were most likely. And then we have the account of Peter and John running back to the tomb at that point. John 20, verse 3. Peter, therefore, went forth, the other disciple, and they, were, and they were going to the tomb, and the two were running together. And the other disciple ran ahead faster than Peter, and it came and came to the tomb first. I guess John is faster than Peter, right? Okay. So here we have... Mary Magdalene running back. Where's they taking him? Peter and John, boom, get up and running back. Now, the events that we see happen while this running there and running back is happening. Okay? So during that time, when Mary Magdalene had run away and the disciples were running back, we have the account in our passage. And the angel answered and said to the woman, that's not Mary Magdalene, that's the other woman. Okay, there were women. Do not be afraid, for I know that you are looking for Jesus. Back in our passage, verse 5. Who has been crucified. He is not here, for he has risen just as he said. Come, see the place where he was lying. So he says, Do not be afraid. And the angel on the side note doesn't tell the guards not to be afraid. They're shaking their boots, and now they're still as, as dead men. He doesn't say, Hey, guards, it's okay. Jesus rose. No. It's to these women. These women, right? These ladies are followers of Jesus Christ. And the, the, the angel says, do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus who has been crucified. We need to see this. Jesus was crucified. He doesn't just say he's risen. He says Jesus who was crucified. There's no rising from the dead unless he had died first, you say. Jesus was crucified. He was put to death by the hands of godless men on a cruel Roman cross. 
Peter says uh, in Acts 2.36, Therefore let the house of Israel know for certain that God has made him both Lord and Christ, this Jesus whom you crucified. We know the Apostle Paul says we preach Christ crucified. 1 Corinthians chapter 1.23. And so he says, the angel says to these ladies, Do not be afraid, for I know you are looking for Jesus. He knows. Look for Jesus who has been crucified. And he continues, he is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. Come and see the place where he was lying. Come and see, right? Let's see, we sing that song, don't we? So here, uh, we see this. It's amazing. He is not here, for he has risen, just as he said. You see, Jesus declared uh, multiple times that he would have to die and then be raised on the third day from the dead. Look back at Matthew chapter 20. Matthew 20, verse 17. And Jesus, as Jesus was about to go to Jerusalem, he took the 12 disciples aside by themselves. And, and on the way, he said to them, Behold, verse 18, Matthew 20, we are going up to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be delivered up to the chief priests and scribes, and they will condemn him to death and deliver him to the Gentiles to mock, scourge, and crucify him. He's telling him in advance. And on the third day, he will be raised up. Just as he said. Just as he said. He's risen just as he said. Now the angel invites the women to look at the place where he was lying. Why? Because he's not there anymore. <laughs> right? He's not there, for he has risen just as he said. And then he, the angel says, come and see the place where he's lying. Now, you might think the angel had rolled away the tomb, the, the, the stone, so that Jesus could get out, but thats I don't believe that's the case. I believe the, the stone was rolled away so that the women disciples could see that Jesus had risen. You know, the Lord Jesus uh, had been raised from the dead, and he was in his resurrection body. We're going to be like him. We see him with the disciples appearing and disappearing. We see him even eating. Look at my hands. Look at my feet, right? Touch them, right? We see the, the, the flesh and bone, not the flesh and blood, right? The, 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 the glorified body of the Lord Jesus Christ waiting to ascend, waiting to ascend, okay? And so here, uh, the wonderful reality is that Jesus Christ, who was crucified, rose from the dead. And these are the facts. But why did he die and why did he need to be raised from the dead? Why did he have to die? Well, take a look and share some passages. But scripture reveals that Jesus was nailed to a cross and crucified, that he hung on the cross uh, because of our sin, because of us, because of you and I. He became sin for us, the sin of spotless lamb. He was separated from the Father for the first time. Uh, my God, my God, why hast thou forsaken me? Second Corinthians 5.21 says, He, that's speaking of the Father, made him, that's speaking of Jesus, who knew no sin, to be sin on our behalf, that we might become the righteousness of God in him. You see, he, re he received the wrath of God that we deserve for our sin. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God taking the sin of the world and he died for our sins. Romans chapter 4, verse 25 says, He was delivered up because of our transgressions, because of our sin. You see, friends, we're all sinners. 
your problem and my problem is that we've all sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. The reality is that there is none righteous, not even one. Man's problem is sin. That's my problem. That's your problem. And indeed, God is righteous, yet man is sinful, and sin caused separation between us and God. The wages of sin is death. But God is a gracious God, a loving God, a merciful God, who sent his only son to live the perfect life and to die for our sins, to die in our place. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son that whosoever believes in him shall not perish, but have everlasting life. If you don't have everlasting life and you die today, you go to everlasting torment. Warning, I warn you today. If you hear his voice, don't harden your heart. If you're playing Christian and you're not truly saved, you need to turn to Jesus Christ. You see, he died for our sins. The grace of God has appeared, bringing salvation to all men. Titus chapter 2.11, the offer is there. God's grace is unmerited favor towards you and I. His grace is available to every sinner, no matter how much sin. And so God predetermined to send his son. And he was delivered up by the hands of godless men. And why? Because of our sin. 1 Corinthians 15.3, For I delivered to you the first importance, also what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures. He died for our sins. That's why he died. Uh, Isaiah 53, verse 1, Who has believed the message, our message? And to whom has the long arm of the, of the Lord been revealed? Who has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a tender shoot and like a root out of parched ground. He had no stately form or majesty that we should look upon him, nor an appearance that we should be attracted to him. He was despised and forsaken of men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, and like one from whom men hid their face. And he says here, um, he was despised and we did not esteem him. Surely our griefs he himself bore and our sorrows he carried, yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten of God and afflicted. But he was pierced through for our transgressions. He was crushed for our iniquities. The chastening for our well-being fell upon him, and by his scourging we are healed. All of us, like sheep, have gone astray. Each one has turned his own way, but the Lord has caused the iniquity of us all to fall on him. And you see, if we turn to the Lord, we change our minds about ourselves, being that we need, we're sinners and we, we believe now that we need salvation. We believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, that he's God, that he bore our sins in his body on the cross, he took on human flesh. If we believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, we receive the forgiveness of sins. Ephesians 1.7, in him, speaking of Christ, we have redemption through his blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of his grace. God requires death for sin. Jesus died for our sins. In a spotless lamb. First Peter 2.24, And he himself bore our sins in his body on the cross, that we might die to sin and live to righteousness, for by his wounds you were healed. Galatians 1.3, Grace and peace from God our Father and Lord Jesus Christ, who gave himself for our sins. Revelation 1.5, and from Jesus, the faithful witness, firstborn of the dead, the ruler, the kings of earth, to him who loves us and released us from our sins by his blood. He died in our place because God requires death for sin. The sinless, spotless lamb of God paid the full price so that we could be forgiven.
Behold the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And if you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, your sin will be removed. But you gotta, you got to admit it. you got to acknowledge it. You need to humble yourself before him and believe in his son Jesus. Whoever will call on the name of the Lord will be saved. Will you call on him today? God calls upon you to repent and believe. Believe in Jesus, the one who paid the full penalty. Trust in him. So some of you say, maybe, yes, I understand why he needed to be crucified, that I'm a sinner. And yes, Jesus paid the price for my sins. I understand that. I understand why. But why did he need to rise from the dead? Why did he need to rise from the dead? Well, remember, when the Apostle Paul shares the gospel, he includes this in the gospel. First Corinthians chapter 15, For I delivered to you as first importance what I received, that Christ died for our sins according to the Scriptures, and that he was buried, and that he was raised on the third day according to the Scriptures. The gospel is not only that Jesus died for our sins, but that he rose from the dead. That he rose from the dead. It's the resurrection of Christ that is absolutely crucial because if he was not resurrected, then his death could not have taken care of our sins. And we're going to see that. A little farther down in uh, 1 Corinthians chapter 15, the Apostle Paul makes a hypothetical case that if, if Christ is not raised from the dead, let's turn to 1 Corinthians 15. He makes a hypothetical case that if Christ isn't raised, then your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. The implication being that he had to be raised from the dead for his death to actually be effective to bring about the forgiveness of sins. He had to raise. 1 Corinthians 15, 16. For if the dead are not raised, not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Now keep your finger there, and I want to look at some other passages also. See, the resurrection of Christ is absolutely crucial. You say, how so? Well, first of all, the resurrection proves and declares many things. Romans 1, the resurrection was a declaration of the deity of Christ. Romans chapter 1, I'll read these for you, and you can just note them down. Romans 1, Paul, the bondservant of Christ Jesus, called an apostle, set apart for the gospel of God, which he promised beforehand through his prophets and the Holy Scriptures, concerning his son, who was born a descendant of David according to the flesh, who was declared the son of God with power by the resurrection from the dead, according to the spirit of holiness, Jesus Christ our Lord. The resurrection declares that he's God, that he was not merely a man who died. He was the God-man who died for our sins. Acts chapter 2 reveals that uh, he was sinless in God. Two characteristics that had to be there and are proven in his resurrection. Acts chapter 2, verse 22. You can turn there, actually. Keep your fingers in 1 Corinthians 15. Acts 2, verse 22. Men of Israel, listen to these words. Jesus the Nazarene, a man attested to you by God with miracles and one and wonders and signs performed through him in your midst, just as you yourselves know, this man delivered up by the predetermined plan and foreknowledge of God, you nailed to a cross. You nailed 
to a cross by the hands of godless men and put him to death. And God raised him up again, putting an end to the agony of death since it was impossible for him to be held by its power. And he's going to explain why it was impossible. Why? For David says of him, I was always beholding my Lord in my presence, for he is at my right hand that I might not, that I might not be shaken. We see here it's impossible for death to hold the Lord. He's God, and he's also took on human flesh. He's man. We know in Acts chapter 17 that the resurrection is a declaration of the proof that Jesus is the judge. That he's the judge. Acts 17, therefore having overlooked, verse 30, the times of ignorance. And I find it interesting. So many people use Acts 17 as their, as their way to um, evangelize people, but they never get to the part where you've got to say repent. They just enter into the culture part. Paul goes past it. He says, yes, the unknown God. He goes, and he goes right past that, and he makes his point. He says here, therefore, having overlooked the times of ignorance, God is now declaring to men that all everywhere should repent. There you go. Because he has fixed a day in which he will judge the world in righteousness through a man whom he appointed, having furnished proof to all men by raising him from the dead. If you reject Christ, you will stand before the Lord Jesus. God the Father has given all judgment to his Son, and he's declaring now that you need to repent, because if you don't, you will be judged eternally. Repent and believe the gospel. We see um, in uh, Romans chapter 4 that the resurrection was a declaration that God was God had accepted the sacrifice of Christ. Romans 4.23 now, not only for its sake was it, was, was it written that it was reckoned to him, that's speaking of Abraham, but for our sake, to whom it will be reckoned as those who believe in him who raised Jesus our Lord from the dead. He was delivered up because of our transgressions, that's our sin, and he was raised because of our justification. You see, uh, God could not declare us righteous apart from having Jesus raised from the dead because he was righteous. He bore our sins. The sinless, spotless Lamb of God died for our sins and rose from the dead. And folks, the resurrection also affirms the reality of all that God has said about Jesus. It affirms his word is true. One last passage. Turn to Acts chapter 13. Acts 13. And this is in the synagogue in Antioch. And Paul, uh, verse 16 of Acts 13, stands up. And Paul stood up and motioned with his hand. He said, Men of Israel, you knew who fear God, listen. The God of the people, the God of this people, Israel, chose our fathers and made the people great during their stay in the land of Egypt. And with an uplifted arm, he led them out, of, out from it. And for a period of 40 years, he put up with them in the wilderness. And when he had destroyed seven nations in the land of Canaan, he distributed their land as an inheritance, all of which took about 450 years. And after these things, he gave them judges until Samuel the prophet. And they asked for a king, and God gave them Saul, the son of Kish, a man of the tribe of Benjamin, for 40 years. And after he had removed him, he raised up David to be their king, concerning whom he testified and said, I found David, the son of Jesse, a man after my heart who will do all my will. From the offspring of this man, according to the promise, uh, 
according to promise, God has brought forth a Savior, Jesus. According to the word, right? And after John proclaimed before the bapti- his, his coming a baptism of repentance to all the people, and while John was completing his course, he kept saying, Why do you, what, who, what do you suppose that I am? I am not he, but behold, one is coming after me, I mean, after me, the sandals of whose feet I'm not worthy to untie. Brethren, sons of Abraham's family, and those among you who fear God, to us this, or the word of this salvation is sent out. For those who live in Jerusalem and the rulers, recognizing neither him nor the utterances of the prophets, which are read every Sabbath, fulfilled these things by condemning him. Fulfilled these by condemning him. And though they found no guilt for putting him to death, they asked Pilate that he be executed. And when he had carried out all that was written concerning him, they took him down from the cross and laid him in a tomb. But God raised him from the dead. And for many days he appeared to those who came up from, came up with him from Galilee to Jerusalem, the very ones who are now his witnesses to the people. And we preach to you the good news of the promise made to the fathers, that God has fulfilled this promise to our children in that he has raised up Jesus. And that promise has to do with the second psalm. And he says, it is written in the second psalm, Thou art my son, today I have begotten thee. And as for the fact that he... And as for the fact that he raised him from the dead, no more to decay, he has spoken in this way, I will give you the holy and sure blessings of David. Therefore, he says in another psalm, thou will not allow the holy one to undergo decay. For David, after he had served the purpose of God, his own generation fell asleep and was laid among his fathers and underwent decay. But he whom God raised did not undergo decay. Therefore, let it be known to you, brethren, that forgiveness of sins is proclaimed, that through him forgiveness of sins is proclaimed to you. It's proclaimed to you today. He fulfills all the promises. The resurrection is an affirmation that he fulfills the promises of God. It means everything, and it's crucial that we believe it. We are to believe in our heart, Romans 10, that God raised him from the dead. That he raised from the We're to call upon him. Whoever will call upon the name of the Lord will be saved. So back in uh, in 1 Corinthians, just for a second, then we'll get back to Matthew. 1 Corinthians 15, 17. If Christ has not been raised, your faith is worthless. You're still in your sins. Then all those who fall asleep in Christ have perished, have been destroyed, utterly ruined. If he's not raised, it's it's worthless. It's worthless. You see, sin is the problem, and if we're not forgiven, we will perish in eternity, in our sins, in punishment, in a state of ruin perpetually in hell forever. The resurrection means everything because it affirms that Jesus, everything he said and everything that was said about him in Scripture is true, is true, and that in him is forgiveness of sins. Back in... uh, First Corinthians says, if we've hoped in Christ for this life only, we're all meant to be pitied. But now, verse 20, Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruit of those who are asleep. But now, he's been raised from the dead. That means we can have forgiveness of sins. That means we can be saved. Scripture is clear that we all need to repent of our sins and turn to Jesus, believing that he paid the penalty for our sins. 
in humility, call upon him to save you. Jesus said that uh, repentance for the forgiveness of sin should be proclaimed in his name and to all the nations, beginning in Jerusalem. We're to call upon the name of the Lord. You see, either you will be saved from your sins and have eternal life through Jesus Christ, or you'll be judged by Jesus Christ and experience a terrifying judgment, terrifying expectation of judgment in the lake of fire. You have a choice. Trust and believe in a loving God, humbling yourself, confessing your sin, being saved, or being judged by the same loving yet righteous holy God in whom you've rejected for salvation. So then, what about us believers? What about us believers? Back to our passage in Matthew. Let's finish up here. So the angel says, come to the place where he's lying. And then notice verse 7. And go quickly and tell his disciples that he is risen from the dead. And behold, he is going before you into Galilee, and you will see him. Behold, I've told you. Isn't that great? You're going to see him. So the commands we have from the angel are, Go and tell his disciples what? That he is risen from the dead. Tell them he's risen. He's going to go before you. And you'll see him. And so what happens? Verse 8, and they departed quickly from the tomb with fear and great joy. I'd be a little fearful too, seeing an angel hearing this. But they're joyful, right? And ran to report it to his disciples. And so evidently, as these women are running to tell the disciples, Peter and John are running to the tomb. And they arrive after these ladies leave. And there, too, we have the Lord appearing to Mary Magdalene, the woman who had seven demons cast out. And so these women departed quickly from the tomb with great fear, with fear and great joy. And uh, certainly, I believe we would be the same way. And they ran in obedience to report to his disciples. You see, when you believe, it's going to produce obedience, by the way, when you believe. And so notice what happens here. Notice what happens when they see Jesus, verse 9, and behold, Jesus met them and greeted them, and they came and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Now, this is, this is fascinating. Great fear, great joy. They're running to tell the disciples. And what's interesting here is this uh, term, Jesus greeted them, you, you might have a note in your NISB says literally saying hello. He just said hi. It's amazing. Jesus met them and said hello. That's what he did. Very common greeting. Now, why was Jesus so casual? Why would he just say hello? Well, folks, this is the Jesus they knew before. Jesus is this Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yes, forever. They knew him. He knew them. And he said hello. What a gracious God. He's risen from the dead. He's in his glory. He's glorified, awaiting ascension. And yet, he's the same Jesus they knew before, saying hello to them. Isn't that wonderful? You see, this Jesus Christ is God. And as we'll see in a moment, he's worthy of our worship. But yet, he has condescended to relate to us. He knew them and they knew him. Now, this doesn't mean that we respond flippantly in that. But it makes it clear that... He's the same Jesus they've been following for years, three years. He says, hi. You know, on a side note, God took on human flesh. He became a man. He understands. He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And he desires a relationship with us. And he says to these women, hello. 
fellow. And so what's their response? And behold, Jesus met and greeted them, and they came up and took hold of his feet and worshipped him. Jesus gave a casual greeting. They didn't give him a high five. They were worshiping the Lord who had risen from the dead. And notice, very interesting, they took hold of his what? Feet. He rose bodily. He rose bodily. He was forever the God-man. He took on human flesh. He rose bodily. He's in his resurrection body. Although he's God, he's still, he's still fully man, forever the God-man. Tremendous reality. So what are they doing? They hold his feet. They're worshiping him, for only God is worthy of worship. Remember the angel in in, uh, Revelation? Don't do that, John. Worship God alone. Only God's worthy of worship. And so we have this amazing true account of faith, obedience, and worship. And that should be our response. Believe what he said. Obey him and worship him. So how does Jesus respond to their worship? Well, let's conclude with this. Verse 10, Then Jesus said to them, Do not be afraid. Go and take my word to my brethren to leave for Galilee, and there they shall see me. He comforts them and declares them to declare the resurrection truth to the disciples. He tells them to do the same thing the angel told them to do. Right? Tell the disciples he's risen. Go to Galilee, and they shall see him there. What an amazing true account the angel descending from heaven, an earthquake, the stone rolled away, the angel sitting atop, the guards shaking in fear, falling down as dead men, the women coming to the tomb, the angel revealing the women are seeking, who are seeking to anoint Jesus. He's not there. He's risen. Amen. The angel commanding his women to go quickly and tell the disciples, and in their great joy and yet fear, on the way they meet Jesus. He says, hello. Then they fall down and worship the Lord who has risen. He commands them to tell his disciples. What a wonderful true story. Jesus has risen and he has conquered death and sin. I began speaking of hope. If you don't believe, you have no hope. You are without God because you're still in your sins. They separate you from a living God. And when you die, you'll be separated forever in the second death and it will conquer you and you'll be punished in the lake of fire forever. But God is gracious and he calls upon everyone commands them to repent and believe. Jesus said in Mark 1, repent and believe the gospel. Gracious God, he sent his son Jesus to die for your sins. And the sinless, spotless lamb did die for our sins and he rose from the dead. Well, what about us, brothers and sisters? We already know these truths, uh, but we need to not forget our former purification from sins. We need to focus on the fact that we serve a risen Savior who conquered death. And this should strengthen and renew our faith. And also we need to remember that Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and yes, tomorrow. Jesus said to, um, I think it was Martha, I am the resurrection and the life. He who believes in me shall live even if he dies. And everyone who lives and believes in me shall never die. Do you believe this? She said, yes, Lord. I believe that you are the Christ, the Son of God, even he who comes into the world. And so I ask you, do you believe this? Let's pray. Father, we thank you so much for your son Jesus who died for us and rose from the dead. 
May we fix our eyes on him. May we not forget what you have done for us through him. May we worship you and obey you and praise you for this wonderful, wonderful gift of salvation through your son. Pray this in his precious name.